North Otago. It's rich in history and strong in character. And you have found the podcast that celebrates all that is good within our district. Join Gary and Damien every week as they either interview a legend or someone who is putting North Otago on the map yet again. North Otago legends, up-and-comers, and a bit of history. The name says it all. Welcome back, listeners. It's another glorious day in North Otago. I'm here with Gary Kircher. Gary, good morning. Good morning. How's things? Uh, it's all going very well. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah and, and like you say, a beautiful morning. It's a pretty chilly morning inland, though. Five, uh, minus five in Amarama this morning, so Was that very nice? chilly start to that part of North Otago. Yeah. Hey, um, I just want to do a couple of shout-outs. I know that actually um, when I walk around North Otago, there are a few people listening in, and I've heard some good stories. So Ivan Doherty, I talked to him last night. He enjoyed um, the podcast on Wynn Stevens, and he said that Nigel Harris, so thanks for listening, Nigel Harris. Um, he's been listening in as well. So are you getting some good feedback about what's happening? And yeah, no, certainly hearing from some people. So we, we need to keep sharing it, need uh, people to keep sharing it. They... Um you know, go to the the Facebook page, and um, you'll, people will see the the, the new podcasts being um, shared on there, and they can share that onto their pages and so on. And uh, just yeah, make sure it spreads as far as possible. Yeah, and what I find is a lot of people. Um, I've had a lot of names and saying, "Hey, you should interview this person and that," and that's fantastic. That's exactly what we want. But what I need is you to write it down, a contact phone number, because some of these people I don't know. Give me their details, why you think they're a bit of a legend or why they've got a story or uh, whatever it is, and let Gary or myself know. But we'd need you to comment on the Facebook pages because that gets more traction and more people see it, more people listen, and it just gets it out further and further. So um, also need to apologise. A couple of our streaming services have been um, a bit up and down. Um, our consistent ones are Spotify and Podbean at the moment. Uh, we'll get iHeartRadio back online and in iTunes very shortly. But if you've been listening and it drops out, we just encourage, um, find it on a different platform. Let other people know if they can't find it, that it's definitely been on Spotify and Podbean all that time. So, Sounds good. Yeah, it's good. Hey, um, today's guest is someone I've been wanting to talk to for a while because um, it's exciting. I enjoy his hobby or his pastime, so to speak. Uh, what he's well known for in North Otago, not just a businessman, this guy knows um, everything to do about deer and hunting. He's probably the most, foremost legend in North Otago as far as hunting goes, and that really, you know, that for me is exciting for me. Well, Gary? You, you are really talking him up, so oh, well, expecting he, big things now. Big things, yeah. <laughs> um, are you into hunting yourself, Barry? Uh, sorry, Gary? <laughs> we'll talk to Barry in a minute. Yeah. But... Um, no, it's not something I've been able to take part in. You know, it's just just haven't uh, you know, had the opportunity, I suppose. Um, apart from you know, a couple of times going out duck shooting, but yeah, no, that's been about it. Well, there is a hunting program. You might be just a couple of years too old for that, but um, I wonder if we can get you in the Meikle Willits <laughs> Memorial Hunting Program yeah, next prob- year. Probably too old. For too that old, one, yeah. yeah. Hey, let me introduce our guest. Today we have Barry Wilson. Uh, many of you might know him from his business that he run in town or from hunting or just being an all-round good fella. So welcome to the podcast, Barry. Well, uh, thank you. It's, uh, I feel a bit of a fraud coming here with that sort of an introduction, but thank you. Um, pleased um, to be here. To be honest, we get people that say that, but no, actually, you've done a lot in this town. Um, just talking to you before the podcast and just hearing some of your stories in that, um, we want to keep, keep that history alive, and you've been a big part of what makes North Otago great. So 
you well, have to receive the the um, gratitude and the well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. No, certainly you've been um, part of the retailing scene for for so long, and a lot of people do you know you through your your business um, in, in the main street, and so we'll get onto that very shortly. But let's let's start at the beginning. So you know, what's you, what's what was your early connections with Omro and North well, Otago? Yes, I go well back actually. Uh, my great great grandparents uh, came out on a ship called the Jura, and uh, the Wilson family uh, managed Morven Hills for John McLean, and that was the very uh, earliest of uh, the. And on the other side of the, my mother's side of the family, uh, my great great grandfather there is Will Carling, uh, who's a well known um, gold miner at Livingston. So. Uh, Yes, I've been here for a while, and uh, well, my blood goes back a long, long way. Actually, I was born in Omaru Hospital, and uh, uh, my parents lived just up the road here on the Wandsbeck Street, on the south side of Wandsbeck Street at the Cutting, and I, early re- recollections are walking down Wandsbeck Street. Uh, my family uh, were friendly with the Colenso girls who lived on Wandsbeck <laughs> Street, and the Colenso girls ran the tea rooms down at Friendly Bay. So oh, wow. um, one of my early recollections is walking down uh, Wandsbeck Street uh, at, to Friendly Bay, filling in the day there. My mother helped out at the tea rooms uh, and then the long, long haul coming back up Wandsbeck Street. So those are some <laughs> of my really early recollections. of. Uh, oh, well, as, as we record this on Wandsbeck Street, it's yeah. very close to home, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And people won't remember those tea rooms, you know, and... No, indeed they won't. Yeah. Uh, my recollections aren't great, but I can remember it's a lot of glass anyway. I remember going in and the clattery, uh, you know, as they were shifting around the, the teacups and such like, but more than that I can't remember. It was located where the restaurant is now. And, yeah. Uh, quite yeah, it's, it's certainly when we were up, um, doing up that area, or we started doing up that area, the prospect came up of, you know, recreating the tea rooms essentially, and it was going to be a, originally it was going to be a similar design to what was there, but um, in in the meantime um, things changed and steampunk came along, and so it became more steampunk design. But uh, yeah, the galley is pretty much on the spot where the tea rooms used to be. So. Yes, that's right. Uh, I know we've moved on, aren't we, and going places, and yeah. it's great to see Omri developing the way it is, and you can take a lot of uh, credit for that, uh, Gary, and your oh, initiative. Thank you very much. It's definitely a team effort, but um, it's, yeah, it's trying to make it just a more interesting place to be. So anyway, well... Probably the move. important question, Waitakian or St Kevin's? <laughs> Waitaki through and through. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Maybe was St Kevin's around then? Like the, or it would have been just the boys' school back then, was it? Or? Oh, St Kevin's was, it was just the boys' school at that yeah. stage, yeah. yes. Yeah. We were yeah. one of the very few... Um, uh, you, we mentioned Ian Hurst the other day. Well, Ian was slightly behind us, but his brother Doug I went to school with. Yeah. And we were the very last of the ones who did the junior high, two years at the junior high. Yeah. We were supposed to go into intermediate uh, school, but it was just a late opening. And so we actually ended the last two years at Form 1 and Form 2 at Waitangi Boys High School. Oh, very good. Mm. So you, got, you went through Waitangi Boys. What, what did you do when you left school? <laughs> Yes, well, much the same as I did at school, I think. <laughs> Not a lot. Um, no, I was a terrible scholar at, at, at school. I, I hunted through and through, and that started at a very early age. Um, so my uh, when I left school, I was encouraged to leave school. My brothers, uh, being much better than I, went to university. But no, I had to find a job, and I was lucky enough to find a job with the Union Steamship Company. 
Um, in those days, the Union Steamship Company was based in Abacus House, where Tony Ward is now, um, but we're only briefly there, uh, and they shifted down to their new new location, which was diagonally opposite the library um, or the power board, which was there then, and that's where I started my job as a junior for the Union Steamship Company. So what is the Union Steamship Company, just for the younger listeners, that, you know, what what did that entail? What did it... Union Steamship Company, yeah, was, well, it was the main uh, shipping company. There was the New Zealand Shipping Company and um, the Home Shipping Company, Northern Shipping Company. Uh, they ran um, the coastal shipping up and down. Uh, uh, so it was at the tail end of the coastal se- uh, shipping that I was involved with the Union Steamship Company. Awesome. So you'd, you'd uh, have all the, the goods leaving Amaru Port and uh, anything coming, coming in would be yes. coming through, yeah, basically the paperwork come through your office. Well, well, it was initially as, as junior, officer junior. Uh, you got to visit each of the ships when they docked and take the mail down to them and take the messages and get the uh, delivery of, uh, of whatever they required organised. So that was a, a pretty minor but interesting job as that a That would junior. have been a great job, meeting <laughs> everyone driving around. And, well, they soon, yeah. soon kicked me out of that. Uh, yeah. Somebody else <laughs> must have left and I got promoted to shipping clerk and that was quite a different. Yeah. You're very involved, like you say, Gary, with making sure everything got on board and was recorded. And you did, did some fairly long airs. Um, we, uh, as shipping clerk, you had to actually check everything off uh, and every bill of lading had to be signed before the ship could leave. So you were under an immense amount of pressure to get it all done quickly so it could be delivered to the ship so it could carry on. And I remember developing a, a signature that was just unreadable for the speed you had to sign all every sheet of page. And uh, no, interesting, we had... Um, some quite interesting things. We worked, I personally worked as a seagull. I don't know whether you know what a seagull is, do you? No. Ever heard of a seagull? Well, a seagull is a non-union uh, labourer. And yeah. from time to time, the uh, local uh, union just couldn't cope with shipping. Uh, so some of them would head off to Timaru when Timaru needed them or to Dunedin occasionally. And every now and then we got overloaded with uh, ships and they just never had enough union uh, workers to to do the job. So we would come in as seagulls and, of course, uh, we were laughed at very much from the the regulars, but uh, uh, I've got a few few, few memories about um, working as a seagull. Of course, you were supposed to have uh, good boots, uh, et cetera. Um, Nothing like health and safety (laughs) today, I can tell you then. And I remember working, arriving down there, I had no boots, so I wore my gym boots, and boy, was I given a hard time. (laughs) By the union workers. By the union workers, yes. But anyhow, we worked, and and it was really, really good. We got extra extra pay. We got paid for that, additional to our uh, normal pay, which was really good. Very good. So were you responsible for um, putting people onto boats and things as well, like passengers? No, never never passengers. Right, uh, just freight. Just, just, just... uh, uh, freight. The incoming wasn't great, but the outgoing was was you know, substantial in some areas. We had at uh, one stage a um, we had a couple, I think, of uh, bulk grain went out of the port, and I remember serving on the um, Waybridge uh, across where the old Mitre Ten building is now. There's a Waybridge there, and we had to uh, weigh each of the lorries as they came in, fully laden with grain. And, of course, then they had to come back later on for their tear, so you know how much grain was actually going on board. So. Was there a few characters? I remember I managed a pub in London for a while and the boys would drop off the stock and that, and they'd say there's seven gigs, and you turn around, there's only six, and they'd hidden one in the back of the truck. And were there a few characters, a few ship captains or something you had to watch and keep an eye on, like they'd try and have you on, or was most people pretty good? 
No, that's outside my my area. Right. Um, yeah, there's a few stories you can tell about them, and a couple yeah. I, I can't tell you. But okay. uh, um, yes, no, the, I, I don't think there was a great deal of that went on in our little port. But yeah. uh, who knows? Yeah. It would be more up to the branch manager to, that knew what was going, going on. on and, yeah. yeah, the odd. Uh, yeah, a bit of freight that falls off the back of the ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, the odd one fall into the sea too. <laughs> and at one stage, I remember um, they were unloading in a, a carton of uh, shotgun cartridges got dropped over the edge. Yeah, uh, and so it uh, got claimed on. And uh, but in due course, I we had to recover it. And uh, got Bob Paisley, who was a diver and yeah. had the old. Uh, uh, steel uh, hat and, and such like, yeah. and he went down and recovered it. Yeah. And I remember him telling him, me off severely. He was uh, down there, and I was up above in the boat. And he says, "When I give it a tug, you lift it up." And this is what he before he went down. You see, yeah. well, I'm sitting there, and is that a tug? Isn't it a tug? I don't know. I know. I couldn't really tell. Yeah. And he came up, and he was furious. <laughs> <laughs> he was big tugging. Why aren't you lifting? <laughs> so we recovered it. It was good. It was. A, a useless, and by then, of course, yeah. it was unusable. But uh, you couldn't dry them out. And <laughs> well, we tried to, and yeah. we did recover the um, the, the components. Yeah. Um, the the it was, um, cardboard cartridges, so naturally they soaked up the water. Yeah. Um, but the um, lead in it, we re- we re- reused. Yeah, uh, big job unloading them all, but uh, yeah, no, those had it really. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very good. So, what what other sorts of freight came in and out? What's the other thing? Um, Re- Regina got the majority of sugar uh, from Auckland. Um, Gilly's got a little bit uh, coming and going. Gilly's were always sending things. Um, uh, who else was the? Oh, mainly, mainly um, uh, bags of grain, Pollard, uh, Bran, uh, you name it. Um, and that was the majority of the freight, I think. Uh, yeah. Crazy, we, something interesting. What did we ship out of here then? Well, it was many grain. Oh, that's what we Yes, out. yes, yeah. largely. Yeah. Uh, so, so was there things like the flour and so on where that were being milled in the area? Was that leaving via that, that way? Or was that yes, yes, it was, but not, not in great quantities. It was yeah. largely uh, the grain itself, I yeah. think, that as I can recall. I might and that will go everywhere? or Well, it, well the areas that those particular yeah. boats ran to, each, yeah. each uh, boat went to a different uh, location in the North Island. Yep. Oh, very good. And so... Um, Union Company basically morphed more into to travel generally, I think. Was that what happened? Um, eventually, eventually the same location became the location yes. for the House of Travel. So Yes, uh, well, eventually, eventually the coastal trade just disappeared, So yeah. uh, and we were there while that, that was happening. Uh, and um, they, they then were going to travel. They were actually uh, into travel in those days too because they were in the inter-island, uh, um, the Wahini and the... Right. The Maori, and so we were doing um, bookings for those uh, as well as railway. Um, so a lot of that was happening. Uh, I happened to be working at the office uh, when I wasn't actually working. I was away on a holiday, but I was still working for the company at the Wahini disaster. Right, and that was quite an interesting. Uh, I was away hunting, believe it or not. And when I returned after the weekend, uh, yes, it was a very subdued office, and uh, uh, the whole. If- Whole country was very subdued. Did you have anyone booked on it? Had you got there were local people, yes, yeah. and, and some of our jobs were to contact them. Luckily, yeah. I was away, and, and yeah. most of that had to be done when I returned. But yeah. yes, there were people, uh, local people, on the way. Yeah, certainly one of New Zealand's massive disasters. That's Terrible. Sure. So, yes. did any local people lose their lives in that? Or? I, I think I would know if there had been, yeah, but so uh, I don't recall it. Yeah, uh, oh, that's. 
And you, yeah, you had involvement with the airport as well. Eventually, yes, uh, we we um, were employed to uh, look after and, and dispatch the planes each day. We started with spans with their DC three. Uh, I wasn't involved so much with that, but then we went on to Mount Cook, and Mount Cook had DC threes and uh, Hawker Sydney seven four eights. I think they were. Um, and uh, and then uh, NAC, which ultimately became New Zealand, which had a French aircraft, which we came into town. They would come in, come in at night and we would man it and take in the goods. Uh, and then in the morning we would have to go to the airport uh, with the crew and uh, balance everything, check everything in and uh, basically dispatch the planes. Mm. Um, yeah, no, it's um, another, an- another part of our history, I suppose, or around how we were getting people and goods you know, from one place from to one another. Place, yes, and exactly. you, you've yeah. seen quite a few changes over that time. Oh, there certainly, certainly were. And, uh, one one recollection is we, I was out there this particular morning. There was a group of us that we, we took turns on on uh, doing the job. But one morning I was out there and I was standing at the counter and a little chap came up to the counter and I could look down on top of his head and he looked up and it was Rob Muldoon. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and Rob Muldoon was then, he was then the uh, Minister of Finance. Yeah. And he was the most pleasant person to talk to. Uh, quite unremarkable, you know, yeah. absolutely brilliant uh, on that particular occasion. Of course, very famous later than that, but yeah. right then he was a really nice guy. <laughs> and was he in a work Very capacity good. or was he just travelling through? Or? Oh, he'd been down for something, yeah. uh, meetings here in Oru at the stage. At, yeah. uh, way out of our league, though. Yeah, yeah. above your pay grade. <laughs> yes, yeah. very definitely. Yeah. And so how did you get into business for yourself? How did that come about? Um, yes, how did I get into business? Um, oh, well, I always wanted to be in business. In fact, my dreams earlier is relating to uh, to hunting and stuff. Like I wanted to be a hunting guide. Yeah, I really did, and I always wanted to work for myself. And uh, uh, working with the union was, was great. I, I met a lot of people and had a lot of fun. Um, and I met my wife. Uh, Linda Taylor, she was working at the library uh, diagonally across the, the street from us, and so uh, you probably her. checked a few books out. We <laughs> going back in. And well, well, well it's did. Yeah, a lot yeah. of others. <laughs> <laughs> no, in those days, I think I read every book in in, in the library on hunting, and particularly yeah. man eating uh, lions and tigers yeah. in India and uh, big game hunting in Africa, and and I just lived on that. So, um, yes, when when Linda and I married in seventy two. We were offered a job managing the Alpine Motel here in Omaru, owned by my brother-in-law, Donald Taylor. And uh, shortly afterwards, he decided to come back to Omaru and offered us a job uh, at, at his motel in Wanaka. So we shifted to Wanaka, where we spent uh, seven years up there. Uh, we had a family up there, both Christian and Debbie were born at Cromwell, uh, went to school there briefly uh, before I returned. Um, we managed the motel for some time, but it really wasn't my scene. Um, and um, I wanted to get into business, uh, and there seemed to be an opportunity for fishing uh, up there. There was no one really doing that at that stage. And you remember, the Wanaka was a very small place in those days, about a thousand yeah. population that jumped yeah. to about twenty-five thousand in, in the summer, yeah. and uh, all the camping and people. And uh, we bought out the um, fish and chip shop of all things. Yeah. Um, so the f- fish and chip shop had gone broke, and saw it empty. Here's an opportunity. Well, let's have a go at uh, at selling fishing gear and, and such like. So that's how we started. Right. Started from scratch, uh, built it up, uh, got involved in the ski fields. And as much as I was never a skier, 
but we were the first people to have skis for hire for treble cone and for um, Cardrona. So oh, wow. Towns. Very good. Mm. Right. Right in at the start. That's pretty cool. Yes, it was. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and you made the decision to move back, back home? Uh, yes, well, that, that came about because uh, I think we had a, a situation where, where in those days you worked uh, every long weekend in Wanaka. In fact, we had to go and get a permission to do so. But uh, So we worked every long weekend, every uh, holiday when we, we would be away. Um, and we decided, hey, let's come to Omri. We only have to work five days down there. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, it wasn't quite like that. I, I saw the opportunity. As a lad, I'd, I'd um, gone to Don Ray's uh, to buy my fishing gear, and uh, then Don Ray's was bought out by John Edmonds, who shifted from the location they were and shifted a little bit up to where the current sport shop is. And I thought, well, I wonder if they want to get out of it, John Edmonds. It doesn't seem to be their scene. They're into building. So I wrote to uh, John Edmonds, and I got a nice letter back saying, oh, you've got an appointment at such and such a time. Uh, that's in Dunedin. Would you come and uh, meet us? Uh, so anyhow, I duly did this, and I met, uh, I think it's Latham, Latham uh, Edmund, who was the boss in charge, and we sat in the... Uh, Boardroom, great big table. There's the two of us sitting there, and we came to an agreement that we would uh, buy their shop in in Omaru on a handshake, and that was it. What year was that? 80, 1980, 19. I, I, hey, uh, yeah. my memory's not good. No, no, that's fine. Uh, Sorry, I put you on the spot. Yes, yeah. So you you packed up the family and decided to move back. Basically, yes, yeah. yes, we did. Yes, so we came back here, back to hometown. Wasn't yeah. it? Are we both uh, comfortable with that at the time? Yeah. Um, we sometimes regret the weather-wise, but that would be the only disadvantage, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's good. And then um, so, so it became Wilson Sports from that yes. time. Yes, we And uh, that's certainly the business that most people will be quite familiar with. Yeah, so that's the one. Growing up, that's all I remember is Wilson Sports. Okay, and yeah. it was probably my favourite shop in town, going, <laughs> in, going in the air and just looking at all the, all the guns and, and, and everything. It was just right. dreaming of, yeah. It was always my favourite shop to go into, yeah. Yeah, well, sports shops are fun, fun yeah. things are, and people uh, in those days, I think we were up and down the country in sports shops for the wrong reasons. Yeah. We were in there because we enjoyed the, the sports side of it as opposed to um, running the a business retail. side of yeah. it. Yeah. So there were many, many sports shops that failed up and down for they couldn't be managed uh, correctly. Well, uh, no, we enjoyed it. You yeah. obviously had the recipe right, though, you, you know. You Probably be a little bit lucky. Um, yeah. You know, coming back to your hometown was probably an advantage. Uh, I had some good people who uh, helped me, particularly my father-in-law who, who guaranteed it with the bank, which that yeah, sort of that was, was uh, yeah. uh, yes. So. Actually, I think I remember going in there and actually hiring some ski gear. You were doing ski hire? Yes, we did, yes. Yeah. We actually did skate hire, would you believe, too, right. when I took over. Yep. It was interesting because I remember as a lad uh, going skating, we used to hire them from Don Ray's and then head over the over Central nice in a busload. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we actually took over their ice skates uh, at the time, too, and I don't think we ever hired any of them. <laughs> ended up selling them off. But, yes, yeah. we did do ski hire from uh, yeah. Amaru. Uh, yep. Um, yeah, I good good how it well. stirs yeah. the memories. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, being the only sports shop or, or the main sports shop in town, you pretty much had to cater to everyone, uh, all, all different sports. Yes. Um, so, did you see much change? You know, how did that industry, um, you know, move over the, over the time? Yes. Well, 
Um, we always had opposition, and I believe believe that's a very good thing to have when you're in business. It does keep you on your toes, and um, it's it certainly changed, and you um, had to shift with the market. Yeah. For instance, the warehouse, and dare I say, say it, uh, places like that came in and were able to undercut uh, what the prices that you could do was always a worry, and, and so I always put much uh, emphasis on the fact that We'll sell you a fishing rod, but we'll also repair it when you need to. And a fishing needle needs some line on it. We'll always have that, and you'll be able to come to us. So yeah. we put a lot of emphasis on that, and I think that's probably why we survived when others didn't. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it was certainly it was. Yeah, the likes of the warehouse coming to town was pretty major. I know with our business at the time, it was like, well, yeah, we just moved out of some of that cheaper stuff and yeah. went higher end because it's what what you needed to do and. I think you're right, yeah. Gary. You just have to move with it, don't mm. you? And to be able to see the changes that are happening and the opposition, yeah. to, you, you've got to move with it. Uh, the current boys in the shop there now, I mean, they, they've uh, shifted dramatically from where I was doing in there and good on them and it's good that they can see that uh, where to go. So Yeah, and it's it's great to see a business that has been there so long. You know, it's gone through different ownerships and so on, but it's, it's still there, it's still needed, it's still um, surviving, so it's great. Yes, and they've got some very loyal people who... who uh, stick with them too uh, and uh, and that's the key too buying local you know if you go and talk to them first i would say go and chat to them they're quite knowledgeable on you know all the technology the late what's new and what's what's coming in go have a chat and you're 100 right damien and it's very out. very yeah. important that people yeah. do support local businesses yeah. after all they employ the the uh, children coming on, don't they, and, yeah. and uh, provide for the – and they can't do it unless uh, they get some of the sales, if not all the sales. So, so it would have been a challenging time coming into that business, you know, and, and particularly in that, you know, once you're getting into the late 80s and so on, you know, we've had the, the downturn, the, you know, the Labor government had come in and got rid of SMPs and so on from the farming sector. And it wasn't the easiest time to do business, but um, you, you – you managed through that time. Yes, we we did. Uh, um, we we always had had somebody else selling sports gear in opposition to ourselves. But yes, again, it sort of goes back to what I said earlier that you have to change with the times and you have to see what uh, people require. Um, and and if you can keep a relationship with uh, your customers, uh, one of the things I found always difficult was because sports shop you don't get your customers regularly. They come in every week, like they do to a. Supermarket or something like that. So you're seeing lots of people uh, not very often each year. And to try and keep in touch with those people is very, very important. So we have to had to put a lot of emphasis on, on keeping those people loyal to us. So uh, I think that's probably how we got through it, Gary. Mm. Yeah. And did you get out, out of the business and, and actually go and do the thing that you got to, you know, that you really enjoyed? The hunting and such like, yes, no, I had a regular regular uh, hunting. Uh, Easter was always the, the prime time and I always got away there, made made that uh, a regular. And duck shooting, of course, I had to do duck shooting. But duck shooting was, of course, a peak time for us in the shop mm. and uh, particularly Friday night. And when we come to town, of course, we were working late night Friday. So we worked at 9 o'clock on Friday night and it wasn't any Saturday mornings. Well, that quickly changed. But, uh, yeah, leading up to duck shooting was always a problem. We took on extra staff and we still couldn't cater um, well, let's talk about some of your hunting. So you've probably hunted all around New Zealand, um, and mm-hmm. but you've hunted a lot in the North Otago. You probably know every farm owner and and um, every nook and cranny and every valley and hill in North Otago. You've probably walked it. 
many times, would that be fair to say? Uh, yes, I've been to some strange places in North Otago because uh, early hunting I had dogs and yeah. dogs hunting. Uh, when a dog uh, is onto a pig, they take you into places where no one else has ever been and, yeah. and wouldn't want to go. Yeah. Uh, as to the whole of the country, no, I've never shot in the North Island. Okay. I've shot in the South Island and I've shot virtually every game uh, animal in the, in the South Island. You're locally here. Um, and know a lot of the, or did know a lot of the um, people on the farms out there, and of all the ones that are still there, the only only really one is Dome Hills, where the Douglases are, and I knew John Douglas yeah. uh, originally, and then David, and and now Ben has taken over. So they're the only ones that have been right through and still in the what same about ownership. The Sims and that. The Sims came after John Woodell oh, was there, and then his son yeah. took over. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, John was well known. He had yeah. a, a Nissan patrol that he <laughs> ran around the horse at a terrible rate, scared everybody <laughs> up and down the track. So, uh, yes. So you got some good hunting stories or I know you've been involved with deer stalkers for quite a few years here. And yeah, uh, yeah, I've got lots of, t- lots of uh, hunting stories and it's difficult to find one that would be appealing to the public in general. I joined the deer stalkers back in, uh, in 1965, so I think that's about 57 years I'm not in the deer stalkers, so I've been there for a long, long time. Um, as to stories, yeah, mm, yeah, <laughs> I've got many of them written down and recorded and uh, as I say, they, they're not always... Um, well, 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 I'll tell you a couple of them then, I suppose. Uh, um there's a couple of occasions that when it was quite interesting. On one occasion uh, when I was actually courting my wife, Linda, uh, um, luckily for me, her parents were into hunting too, so it was uh, uh, quite nice that she would come along with me going hunting. Uh, and I remember going into a place called Dog's Den, a well-known hunting block for pigs uh, with the dogs one day, and she was with me. And we headed across into uh, this, this block and... Uh, Quickly, my dogs took off, and I could hear them way down the bottom of the gully barking uh, as they um, bailed a pig. And uh, I had to say, Linda, do you want to come with me? I've got to get down there quick. No, she wanted to stay out. So I said, well, I'll go across in that open ridge there. You sit there, and I'll head off down and get the pig, which I duly did. Yeah. Uh, in the meanwhile, um, up the ridge comes a quite rather large boar on the on the very ridge that Linda was sitting on. And I remember telling us at the time, uh, I told her, go away, pig, go away, pig. And it came right past her. And so that was a bit of a dent in the relationship for a little while. Yeah. But, uh, we got over that. But, and, it, and then on another occasion, uh, we were, I, I was uh, on the property of uh, what's Fraser's, which is now uh, the Herbert Forestry, no, the Hamden Forestry, I should yeah. say. And um, we'd had a successful day and, and we'd pulled up on top of the ridge in amongst the Manuka, uh, ready to head for home. And we got out to have a look, see if there's any fresh sign about, sign being the rooting in the ground of the pigs, yeah. of course. And uh, I hadn't tied the dogs up or it would let them out. And next minute they're off they're and away. it's just coming on dark. And that's when you don't want your dogs going away and fine. Well, they did, of course. And away down in the gully, uh, I hear the bark and there's a, a leading ridge leading down to where they were. And so I headed off down this ridge. Uh, and as I'm going down, uh, it's getting darker and darker and very hard to see. And it's a very narrow ridge with a very defined uh, track on it. And the uh, scrub around me in the carnica was about an inch thick, so it really wasn't. Uh, and here, coming up the ridge, I can hear this grunting coming on. And I didn't like the sound of this grunting. It sounded like a rather large pig. <laughs> and 
I know where to go, and uh, although I had a rifle, I mean, you, you can't really wait for it to shoot at the, when you're surrounded by this. So I managed to swing into the tree, uh, dangling down, and the pig went underneath me, and I could actually brush its shoulder as it went past. Very, very scary, and it was a large pig too. So, so you think it was aiming for you or just I think it was run? probably coming away from the, the yeah, uh, dogs, dogs but, but I think if I'd been on standing, I think I might have... Uh, Got a boar tusk in the I'm leg. sure I might yeah. have, yes, yes, no. Interesting, but I'm safe. That's great stories. Um, so mainly pigs or a lot of deer as well or a bit of everything? Well, well, a, bit, a bit of both. Uh, yeah. When you've got dogs, yeah. uh, you have to keep them uh, yeah. going. So I did a lot of pig hunting. And so that got me in a lot of the really rough country uh, up and down the, the Kakanoes out here. I did, did deer shooting, yes, I'll regularly go away for the roar, roar being the, the hunting time of the season when the stags are roaring, as most of you will know. Um and so we went into much of the west coast, uh, the Arawata, um, yeah. lots of places over there. And, and while I was living in Wanaka, I had a mate up there, Bruce Gillies the Butcher, and, and we flew into a lot of those uh, backcountry areas. Yeah. Um, the advent of the helicopter and being delivered onto your site was, was really, really good. So, yeah. yeah, did a lot of hunting. Um, a did, bit you, of, did you know the Wallace? Uh, uh, Tim Wallace and all that? Did yeah, you? Yeah. Yes, yeah. I did. Uh, later on, the, the, the Wallace... Uh, Boys with the helicopters were a bit of the enemy, but oh, were they? Uh, yes, yes. I, sh- I shot uh, at the gun club with Tim Wallace yeah. uh, and uh, his brother George. Yeah. They both shot there, and so I didn't. I didn't know them well, of course, but yeah. uh, they would come out there and we'd have, get to have a talk. They they got into the life capture of the deer, yes, didn't they? To, they did, and, really. And, and so I suppose was, yeah, that wasn't what you guys were after. Well, no, you're right, uh, Gary. And in, my lifetime, there's been a, a, immense changes in the population of deer, of course. And when we started off, and I was going to tell you a memory I had. Is, well, I'll tell you a couple of memories I've had about hunting. And my very first uh, experience in hunting, I can remember as a lad. My dad was a meter reader um, uh, for the Waitaki Power Board, and the Wilsons had the uh, um, uh, Walter Wilson, my grandfather, had the property around Alday Bay. And so we'd go down there, and, and I remember recollections of them down there. Uh, but my first hunting experience was going with Dad, and I must have been very, very small, uh, probably six or seven. In, in that, and we arrived down there in the dark, and we got into the dinghy, paddled around to where he put his decoys out, and, and got into the uh, the mai mai. And and I can re- really remember uh, a couple of things. Whistle of the, the wings of the ducks as they were flying in, something I can't hear anymore. How can you but not? No. And yet it's right up here in my head. I, yeah. I can hear it, but I can't hear it, if yeah. you know what I mean. Mm. And the smell of the uh, smoke from the gunshot, you know, mm. as he opened and took the empties out because yeah. he the smell of the... So those are really, really recollections from early on, but it probably didn't really uh, have much effect on my hunting. It was later on when we were living still at, uh, up here on Wandsbeck Street, and I remember at night my brother Dave and I uh, listening to the radio and our favourite programme, one of them was Nightline, um, uh, which some of you might remember, Night Beat it was, sorry, and then Barry Crump. Well, we would be oh. always waiting for, and our, here he would come on, um, G'day, Barry Crump here, I'm here to read you a bit of me book. <laughs> and, and uh, of course, he'd read on about... Uh, um, you know, there were various books, and that's really got me started. That got it you really, really did. Yeah, got me hooked, and uh, yeah, no, fantastic. Really Those did. books I recommend are still good books today. They are, right? They are still brilliant books. Easy yeah. reads. Yeah. yeah. Yes, no doubt about it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, definitely a bit of Kiwi history, isn't it? Yeah. 
So, a yeah. couple of quick questions. Biggest stag you've caught? How many points? Oh, we really count them in points. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, I've, I've never got a fantastic head. Uh, I've got a 12 or a 13. And, and it's, it's the evenness and the, yeah. the, uh, that we really look for. Benefit, look for yeah, yeah. Rather. yeah. Biggest boar? How, how heavy? Um, I carried one out one day with a mate, uh, 180 pound clean with a head off. Yeah, that's that's. that's pretty you sure big. it wasn't a cow? <laughs> that's, that's a <laughs> oh no, <laughs> they go, go do go bigger than that. Yeah. but that was the biggest thing that we ever ever yeah. got. Yeah, that's a good sign. Tough carrying it out. Most ducks in one opening morning. Oh yes, no, I can tell you. Uh, I just can't remember what the exact totals were, but I shot with a friend, Richard Wade, uh, for many many years at Rob's Crossing, and we had a place out there where. Um, the ducks just went to, and it wasn't a feeding place, it was a place where they went to hide, really, and, okay. and a build-up of them. And some days, yeah, 200. 200 I, I just can't remember what the um, yeah. bag limits were, but we would regularly get, okay. get the bag it, limit. it was one under the bag limit every time, <laughs> is that right? Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. Not, not quite, but <laughs> yeah. yes, yeah. very hard to count when yeah. you're talking those sort of numbers. And, yeah. uh, yeah. So who, who's the, the best shooter that you've been out with? Oh, best shooter. Um, uh, there's a couple of guys that jumped to mind. Um, Andy Kingen, uh, Andy King was the Kingens at uh, Five Forks, yep. and he's a very skilled uh, hunter. Uh, Stephen Hansen, uh, well known yes. for his search and rescue, and I've hunted a bit with Steve, and Steve's a very, very capable hunter too. Uh, yeah, uh, he's another one of those guys that knows every inch of the North Otago. Oh, he does. Back yes, been and, everywhere. Yeah. And, fort- and, a, and a really nice guy too. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah. And, and I'm fortunate that he and his mates occasionally take me with them. Oh, uh, even at my age, yeah. I still manage to follow yeah. along. <laughs> they still bring you out every now yeah. and then. They do. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's yes. good. Uh, Did you get out this last roar? Uh, no, not uh, well. We, I, I tell a lie. We did go out for the roar. We were way out on, onto the crumb block in the back of uh, the Douglas's property, Dome Hills. Um, yeah, saw a few deer, heard yeah. a few roar. Yeah. Um, I'm not really fit enough to be going much after them, but uh, you need to roar them right in close. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, to be perfectly honest, I'm, I haven't got the interest in shooting deer anymore. Uh-huh. And it's funny, in, in recent years, I'm happy to be there. I'm happy yeah. to see other people uh, be successful, and particularly when they enjoy it. And I, and I do like uh, taking younger people out, and they've got a couple of grandchildren that uh, I delight in having them out. Yeah. So. Well, on that note, um, you started up the Meikle Willis Memorial Hunting Program. Mm-hmm. Talk to us a bit about that. See, this is, um, I love the idea that you're giving back to the community and something that you're passionate about. You're taking young people out every year into the hills and teaching them some skills and, and, and it's not just getting a deer, it's that teaching them how to, at night time, how to survive in a hut and, you know, use the yes. toilet outside and cook baked beans on toast and all of that stuff. So it's why a, did you start that? And how why did, did that we start out? that? Um, well, we always had an interest in, in taking juniors out. Yeah. Uh, and uh, my good mate uh, Trevor Meikle was was a fine hunter, yep. uh, and uh, he encouraged that as well. And unfortunately, um, Trevor passed away from cancer at a, a relatively early age, as did his wife soon after. And um, I remember us try organising a flight for him around his favourite hunting uh, in the last uh, months of his life. And um, he was really passionate on it. So anyhow, uh, we had a meeting out in one of the huts. The helicopter flew in and Trevor came and we all had a talk with him, which was really wonderful 
thing to do. And when he passed on, um, we were pay paying for the helicopter and we, used to, we just said, well, you just put in whatever you can. And at the end of the day, we had more, uh, more than double what uh, was required to pay for the helicopter. Yeah. And a group of us said, well, what are we going to do with the money? Um, who do we give it to? And uh, so that's how we had a surplus of money. And uh, because Trevor was so passionate on, on taking juniors out as well, uh, we dreamed up this idea of taking a junior. And so the, the Willits part of it was Trevor's uh, very good mate who passed away also uh, not long after. And uh, since then we've been taking kids out uh, every every uh, before the roar. It's normally in February, March. Uh, at, yes. Yeah. No, I mean, the Meekles were such, yeah, they were such a great couple. And, um, oh, yes. You yeah. know, we definitely lost them too early. But your involvement went beyond the shooting too. You, you were involved with the wetland uh, oh. in, the, in, the, in the Apache. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, you know, I shot quite a bit with Trevor and um, we, we, were, we were really good friends in many respects. And, and I recall uh, one occasion out there we were standing at the rifle range, which is at the head of the existing wetlands out there and um, we looked at it, it had been a bit of a flood and there was surplus water still draining away out of the basin and uh, Trevor and I were talking about it, wouldn't it be good if we could put that permanently and Trevor says yes it would be because it's a damn nuisance for to me <laughs> in, in that respect. He was meaning of course they would no sooner work up the paddock and, and there would be a flood and it would yep. uh, ruin the paddock and he says it's really not much use as a farming uh, operation. Luckily for me, at the time, I was a councillor on the Fish and Game Council um, on the, and I thought, well, there's an opportunity. They may be interested. And so I took the proposal up to the Fish and Game Council in, in Tamuka and they agreed. Uh, so they funded the whole idea. Um, so that's how, how it came about originally. It's about 30-odd years ago or something like that. So just for anyone listening, just, yeah, what's what's the name of the wetlands and how do the people get there and, and what is there now that people can go? Well, Devil's Bridge Wetlands on Devil's, Devil's Bridge Road, yeah. uh, and it runs up to the corner of Eden Road. Um, easy to get there, go to the Ardgown Hall and, and just follow your nose down the hill under <laughs> Devil's Bridge Road. Um, we, uh, when we first uh, put it in there, we had a plan to develop it, but we never ever formed a, an official group to look after it. Basically, it was administered by um, Fish and Game and a small group of us worked to uh, put trees back in and do the various necessary uh, arrangements. We decided that some protection was needed and uh, QE2 Trust were approached and, and they put a protection over it, so it's got a covenant over it. Uh, it's available to the public generally. There's a bit of a limitation uh, during the hunting, stuck hunting season, but nothing too dramatic. So um, you're allowed to shoot the ducks on it? Yes, there is. Those stands are balloted yeah. each year. Yeah. Uh, there's four stands on it and they are balloted. Uh, and general people can go uh, hunting, but generally it, you, you should still uh, contact the owner because it's still privately owned. And Aaron Meekle, that's uh, Trevor Gale's eldest son, yeah. is owns it now, and he can be contacted if you wish to. Yep. Uh, we planted the whole area, and that's uh, starting to mature now. And uh, on the millennium, the Otago Regional Council paid for a walking track to go through. So yeah, mm. and uh, a lot of people got a benefit out of that track. 
Yes, sir, is it, yeah. it, it, it is a nice place to go. Yeah. It's so close to uh, Amaru. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it's just such a fantastic facility and as much as people know and go there, there's still a, it's still a bit of a secret to a lot of people, you know, that they're, they're just, you know, locals that have never been there. So yeah, I guess really you've never driven out past it. Yeah. them to go out and yeah, have, so have a wander around the track, have a look at the wildlife. The, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, there's, there's a lot of great farmers out there who've done a lot of things under their guardianship with their land to actually make it better, and this is a great example of that. And it must have been great to be part of it. Oh, it has been. Uh, you know, we, we, those of us who have been involved, of course, they're starting to uh, get depleted, and, and there's come a time now when we actually have to put something officially in there in the way of a management committee. And, and yeah. So we're at the moment looking to uh, form a, an incorporated society so we can administer it a little bit better. Um, so that's happening at the moment in my hands, which is... Um, probably sitting on my hands a bit much at the moment. It should have been done by now. But anyhow, we're working towards putting a uh, car park and picnic area at the southern end. Oh, uh, very good. And the council have been out and checked it over so that yep. it looks like it. Well, thank, thank you for being part of that because it's, it is one of those legacies that, um, you know, it, it's going to serve, serve the community well. And um, it's a great memorial, in fact, to um, to the Meekles and to the Lyceus House that, oh, that is there. So well done. Thanks, Gary. That's uh, yeah. Well, Mary, I just um, yeah, thank you. You've you've obviously you know you've been a businessman in this town and you're born and raised here. But uh, what Gary and I are looking for is people that have given back and have given given on themselves. And I think just the hunting program, um, the wetlands. Um, also, know you're building and you you've, you've built a new heart in the scenic reserve down at Wanakarua. Um, just things like that. You carry a lot of history. So thank you very much for what you've done for our town and that you've promoted, or not just our town, our district, North Otago, that you promote it and that you give back. So that's what we're looking for, just people who are good, honest people who just enjoy the community and have just gone and, and, and done something good so other people can benefit. So thank you very much for that. Well, thank you too. Uh, I'm only part of, uh, only as good as the others that assist too. So uh, yeah. thank you. Thank you for this. Oh, thanks for sharing um, some stories and, and for sharing your time. It's been appreciated. And um all the best for, for further uh, hunting adventures and whatever else you, you might get up to in your retirement. Yes, thank you, Gary. That's appreciated. Yeah, no, thank you very much. Um, yeah, so, Gary, that was good having Barry on today. Now, um, off here, I might have to twist his arm and see if I can organise my own hunting trip with him. But um, <laughs> um, I reckon we get you out in the hills, Gary, one day. Yeah, that could be a bit dangerous. Because... Have you had any hunting accidents in your time, <laughs> No, not. <laughs> okay, thank you. Uh, you might be a good uh, tutor then. Yeah, yeah, but you've got nice strong shoulders, Gary. We always need uh, someone yeah. to carry the animals out after us, you know. Well, I hear you're not a very good shot, so probably not much for you to carry out from you, Damien. <laughs> ouch, ouch, ouch. <laughs> hey, um, thanks for listening in today. Um, yeah, if you find yourself this, this Sunday afternoon, nothing to do, and you just want to take the family for a walk, Head out to Devil's Bridge uh, Wetlands and have a walk around there and just appreciate the people in North Otago who have made that possible. And, um, yeah, good chicken um, next week. We're exciting. Um, we're the first time ever on the podcast. We've got a father. Well, we interviewed the father today and then we interview his daughter um, next week. So that's exciting. So check in next week and find out why the Wilson family has been put on the map yet again in North Otago. Thanks very much, everybody, and look forward to you joining us next time.